Hi, welcome to my podcast, where today I'll talk about how Mary and Joseph lost the 12-year-old boy Jesus in Jerusalem because they didn't yet understand the way that God was calling Jesus to set us free from sin. My name is Tim Harner. I am a Christian author and apologist, a graduate of Houghton College and of Harvard Law School, where I was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. As an attorney, my primary role has been as a general counsel. Therefore, I call the six books that I've written the General Counsel Series. The first four books of the series outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, providing scriptural backing for the final installments of the series that outline the history of America and the history of the Church Universal. I post my latest thoughts regularly on my website, timharner.com. For this podcast, please reflect on the questions, in what ways did Mary and Joseph grow in wisdom as parents? In what ways did Jesus grow in wisdom about how God was calling him to set us free from sin? In what ways are you growing in wisdom? And now, as I talk about Mary and Joseph losing the 12-year-old boy Jesus in Jerusalem, let's pray that the Lord will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in the sight of the Lord our God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Today's thoughts are based on the chapter, Mary and Joseph Lose Jesus in Jerusalem, in my book, Hoping in the Lord. Now we come to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In many ways, it's a very simple story. The story of a child lost in the big city and his parents' frantic search for him. But because it's a story about Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, it is also a very profound story. It has much to tell us about parents, their children, and Jesus. Even though the story is a familiar one, Let's recap it briefly. Jesus was now 12 years old. He'd been living in Nazareth with his parents, Mary and Joseph. Nazareth was a town of some importance. It had about 20,000 people and lay at an important crossroads. But still, Nazareth was nothing compared to the big city of Jerusalem. Although we know nothing specific, about how wealthy and important Jesus' family was, we assumed that they were a humble, middle-class family. Joseph was a carpenter. Presumably, Jesus became a carpenter, too. Jesus and his father must have gazed in awe at the magnificent buildings of Jerusalem compared to the modest structures they helped build in Nazareth. The most magnificent building of all was the temple. Jesus and his father must have marveled at the woodworking of the temple and its furnishings. We know that Jesus and his parents visited Jerusalem regularly as he grew up. We are told that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. This feast celebrated a key event in Israel's history, the escape of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. As devout Jews, Mary and Joseph were expected to attend such major festivals in Jerusalem annually, if at all possible. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph made every effort to come to Jerusalem each year. They knew that Jesus was a very special child, a future king who would save his people from their sins. 
they must have wanted to expose him to Jerusalem and its temple as much as possible. In addition, I'm sure they had a good time, the closest thing they had to a vacation. Their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem must have been similar in many ways to our family's annual pilgrimage to Walt Disney World with our children. Our annual trip to Walt Disney World was an educational experience for our children. Some years we also stopped briefly in Washington while driving south because we wanted them to see our nation's capital, just as Mary and Joseph wanted Jesus to see his nation's capital, Jerusalem. Our annual trip to Walt Disney World was a time to remember our grandest dreams and to recapture our hopes for a wonderful future. In the Magic Kingdom, there is the boat ride where colorful, animated children from every nation sing over and over again that it's a small world after all. In the temple, Jesus heard people singing over and over again that God's love endures forever. At Epcot, there is a laser light show to celebrate what is best about the diverse peoples of our small world. The music and magnificence of the temple had a similar effect on Mary, Joseph, and Jesus as the Disney magic of modern technology has on us today. Imagine hearing the music in the temple. In Jesus' time, there were no stereos or headsets. There were no movies or television to detract from the awe of the pageantry at the temple. At Epcot, there is also an American temple where robots who look like Benjamin Franklin and Mark Twain talk about the triumphs and tragedies of the American people. In the temple, the greatest teachers of Judaism talked about the triumphs and tragedies of God's people. Two other things must have been as true of Jerusalem and Jesus' time as of Walt Disney World today. The crowds and the frantic pace. The crush of people in Jerusalem must have been equivalent to the crush of people in Walt Disney World when it's crowded. And the frantic pace of travel must have been similar to the haste with which we packed our car and drove all night towards Walt Disney World. The crowds and the frantic pace help explain the confusion that caused Mary and Joseph to lose Jesus in Jerusalem. We are told that after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. How could this be? How could parents lose track of their child for a whole day and not even know he was missing? Actually, the mistake was fairly easy to make when we consider the way that Mary and Joseph were traveling. They weren't hopping into the family car to drive back home. Presumably, they were traveling in a large group of friends and relatives from Nazareth. Furthermore, the women and men traveled in separate groups. Since Jesus was 12 years old, Mary probably thought that Jesus was traveling with the men. But Jesus was still young enough that Joseph probably thought that he was traveling with the women and children. It was not until evening when the men and women were gathering together for the night, that Mary and Joseph learned that Jesus had not been with either of them that day. Mary and Joseph must have been nervous 
and embarrassed. Where was Jesus? They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. At some point, they must have become frantic. My wife and I never lost either of our children for more than a few minutes, but those few minutes are among the most anguishing anyone can live through. Joseph and Mary must have been distraught when they confirmed that Jesus was missing. There were no telephones to call Jerusalem and ask the police to find Jesus. So when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Their search for Jesus did not end quickly. They must not have been able to guess where Jesus would go if he were alone in Jerusalem. Perhaps they checked the homes of friends and relatives. Perhaps they checked the palace and the marketplace. But, like the Magi, it took them a while to look in the right place for Jesus. By this time, they must have been completely baffled how to find Jesus. At last, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Mary and Joseph had certainly not expected this. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I wish we could hear Mary's tone of voice and see her face as she said this to Jesus. I imagine she said it with a combination of relief and fury, the same way that my wife and I spoke to our children when we found them after they'd been missing for merely a few minutes. Jesus answered Mary with that frustrating naivety that is typical for a child of 12. I know that because it's typical of how my 12-year-old children answered me under similar circumstances whenever I was astonished that they were doing something that didn't make sense to my adult mind. Jesus couldn't understand what his parents were all upset about. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph did not understand what he was saying to them. I can sympathize with them because I had the same problem understanding such childish responses to my own questions and complaints. The key difference between Jesus and other children was that Jesus did not become disrespectful or disobedient towards his parents. Even though they didn't get it, he didn't yell and scream at them. He didn't tell them they were stupid. Instead, Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Of course, Jesus was fortunate to have such good parents. It was easier to obey Mary and Joseph than to obey most parents. Most parents would berate their child for disrupting the parents' travel plans. Most parents would ridicule their child for being so stupid. But Mary, after her initial exasperation and fear vented themselves, did not ridicule or condemn Jesus for his astonishing behavior. Instead, like any good mother, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Fortunately, Mary had many wonderful memories to cherish about her son. In ways more numerous than the Bible records, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. 
For parents, this story holds a number of lessons about how to help their children grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. For one thing, parents need to learn that it's okay to make mistakes as parents. Everyone makes mistakes, even Mary and Joseph. Let's review the mistakes they made. First, Mary and Joseph lost track of Jesus physically. There are plenty of excuses for why they left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. They were busy. There were lots of people running around. There was some confusion whether a 12-year-old boy would travel with the men or with the women. But despite all these excuses, the truth was that Mary and Joseph made a mistake. They didn't spend enough time talking with their child and their spouse to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. Mary and Joseph's second mistake was that they lost track of Jesus spiritually and emotionally. This is a natural consequence of being too busy and distracted to keep track of a child physically. Because if we can't even keep track of a child's physical location, how are we going to keep track of the many ways they change emotionally and spiritually as they grow? To me, as to Jesus, it was odd that Mary and Joseph had such trouble figuring out where Jesus would be in Jerusalem. In hindsight, it's obvious that Jesus had an intense interest in spiritual matters, especially teaching. So where else would he go in Jerusalem than to the center of spiritual matters and teaching, the temple? Mary and Joseph somehow had missed out on this critical aspect of Jesus' development. Skeptical critics of the Bible's accuracy are so struck by Mary and Joseph's inability to realize that Jesus would be in the temple and by their astonishment at his amazing abilities that these skeptics regard it as proof that the stories about Jesus' birth are not historical. Why, these skeptics ask, would Mary and Joseph be astonished that Jesus was in the temple amazing everyone with his understanding and his answers if they'd been visited by angels, the shepherds, and the magi. Perhaps these skeptics have never been parents. If they had had their own children, they should realize that parents almost always are unable to fathom what is going on inside their children, especially as they make the transition from child to adult. Mary and Joseph were no different even though God chose them as the best parents he could find to raise Jesus. Furthermore, the angels, shepherds, and magi told Mary and Joseph very little about the specifics of Jesus' ministry. The angel told Mary that Jesus would be great, that he would be called the Son of the Most High, that he would be given the throne of his father David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and that his kingdom will never end. There was nothing in the angel's statements that specifically mentioned that Jesus would be a great teacher, or that he would love the temple, that he would establish the pure worship of the Lord in spirit and in truth. Nor do the other statements about Jesus recorded in the Nativity stories describe Jesus as a teacher or describe his love for the temple. The statements about Jesus did not get into the specifics about how he would save his people from their sins, how he would bless all peoples in the promised land. 
The most natural thought that probably occurred to Mary and Joseph was that, since God was going to give him the throne of his father David, Jesus would be a great warrior like David. After all, the most memorable story about the boy David was a story about how he defeated Goliath. So perhaps Mary and Joseph looked for the boy Jesus among those who were learning to make war. Next, Mary and Joseph might have looked for Jesus among those who were learning to make laws, because Jesus was supposed to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Then, remembering that David was a gifted musician, Perhaps Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus among those who were learning to make music. It would have taken careful reflection to remember how much David loved to worship in the house of the Lord, to remember how much David yearned to build a temple for the Lord, to remember how much David wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to remember how much David wanted a pure heart and a steadfast spirit so that he could worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Therefore, a major reason why Joseph and Mary failed to understand their child's hopes and dreams was probably because, just as other parents, they were blinded by their preconceptions about who their child is, how their child should live, and what their child should do when he or she grows up. Another major reason why Joseph and Mary failed to understand their child's hopes and dreams was probably because, just as parents today, they were way too busy to pay close attention to the signs that came along their way. Mary and Joseph must have missed Jesus' fascination with the teachers in the temple. If they'd been observing his reactions in the temple, they'd probably have known it would be the first place he'd go just as I could guess where in Disney World my children would go. Furthermore, Mary and Joseph must not have listened carefully enough to what Jesus said about what interested him. We do not know whether Jesus loved music, but Jesus loved the truth too much and tolerated hypocrites too little to enjoy politics. And from everything we know about Jesus as an adult, it's hard to believe that Jesus ever wanted to pursue a military career. In contrast, from all we know about Jesus as an adult, can anyone doubt that from his earliest childhood, he must have studied the Bible, prayed without ceasing, told people about God, and talked about how we should live? Hindsight is always twenty-twenty. So I've tried to do better than Mary and Joseph at listening to my children and helping them become the people they want to become instead of the people I want them to become. Nevertheless, it's easy for me to make the same mistakes as Mary and Joseph made. I don't pay enough attention to who my children are. I'm too busy. And anyway, I think I've already got it all figured out. So there's no need to listen and observe carefully to understand who my children really are and how God really wants them to live. Finally, I fail many times as a parent in a way that Mary and Joseph failed here. They blamed their child for their own mistakes. When Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple, they were astonished at the way Jesus was sitting among the teachers 
listening to them and asking them questions. They must also have been astonished at how everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. But did Mary and Joseph tell Jesus how proud they were of him? Did they realize that they were the ones who got lost? That they should have told Jesus more carefully about their plans for traveling home? No, of course not. Like any parent, or at least like me, they blamed the child. In that moment when Mary and Joseph should have been proudest of Jesus, Mary was human enough to vent her stress, anguish, and relief by complaining, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Even when Jesus explained why he was right and they were wrong, Mary and Joseph still couldn't figure out their child. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But Mary and Joseph still did not understand what he was saying to them. It's scary to think how hard it is to be a good parent. Even Mary and Joseph made mistakes. Even Mary and Joseph failed to understand their child. Even Mary and Joseph sometimes got mad at their child for the wrong reason. How can I hope to get things right as a parent? But then I take heart. Even though Mary and Joseph made mistakes as parents, they still succeeded as parents. So if I do the things they did right as parents, I can be confident that the mistakes I make as a parent will be washed away by all the good things I do as a parent. Two things made Mary and Joseph outstanding parents. First, they cared more about their child Jesus than about anything else in the world, including their own self-interest. Second, they made sure that their child learned to know God and God's ways. We've already seen how Mary and Joseph sacrificed everything for Jesus when he was born. Mary sacrificed her good name and was willing to destroy her marriage to Joseph by showing up pregnant before the wedding with a child that was not his. Joseph sacrificed his respectability by marrying a woman in circumstances that suggested he'd had sex with her before the wedding. Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with the baby Jesus when they feared King Herod would kill him. They traveled to Jerusalem every year at great expense and inconvenience, at least partly so that Jesus would learn about the wide world and the ways of God's people. When they lost track of Jesus, they hurried back to Jerusalem to find him. They searched anxiously for him until they found him. And even though they sometimes misunderstood Jesus and got mad at him when they were really the ones at fault, when they calmed down and reflected on things, they weren't angry at Jesus anymore. Instead, Mary, as any good mother or father, treasured all these things in her heart. We need to show our children that we love them and treasure them, just as Mary and Joseph showed Jesus how much they loved and treasured him. Second, Mary and Joseph made sure that Jesus was raised to know God and God's ways. We know this partly because on trips such as this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, 
They provided Jesus with opportunities to become better educated, just as we took our children on vacations to broaden their understanding of the world and to show them things that may inspire them for the rest of their lives. A space shuttle launching, a whale breaching, the power of freedom at the Lincoln Memorial, the power of God at Niagara Falls. But mostly we know that Mary and Joseph raised Jesus to know God and God's ways because of what we know about the kind of person Jesus grew up to be. Jesus was always quoting the Bible and applying it correctly to the circumstances of life. And even more important, Jesus applied God's ways to his own life so that he was always doing the right thing. Jesus was always loving the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind and he was always loving his neighbor as himself. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph lived the kind of lives that taught Jesus how to live this way on a practical day-to-day basis. Indeed, this is the ultimate challenge for every parent, to teach our children so well by our words and our deeds that our children grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. One such lesson that our children must learn is that they must never let discouragement or criticism stop them from pursuing their dreams and achieving their visions. They must not get discouraged because adults, such as their parents or their teachers, don't understand them. Sometimes adults will even criticize them for doing the very things we ought to be praising them for. For example, Jesus' mother was exasperated at first because he was so interested in learning about God's ways that he lost track of unimportant things, such as when the family was supposed to go home. Another lesson to learn from this story is that it's okay for children to make childish mistakes, such as forgetting their homework. It's normal for children to forget such things to be so caught up in being a child that they forget the dull details of life. After all, Jesus was so out of things that he forgot to join the family for the trip home, and he was so irresponsible that he didn't even realize his mistake for three days until his parents showed up. Despite these childish mistakes, Jesus grew up to be just fine. So children today can grow up to be just fine, even if they make mistakes too. This story about Jesus in the temple also teaches us much about who Jesus was and how he grew up. Indeed, perhaps no other story shows us so simply and profoundly that Jesus was both fully human and fully God. How can there be a better story to show that Jesus was so fully human? Jesus didn't spring from thin air. He was born in a manger and grew up. Jesus knew what it was like to be absent-minded, to be so caught up in the innocent intensity of a child that he forgot to wonder why he hadn't seen his parents for three days. Jesus knew the wonder of discovering things for the first time, such as admiring the magnificence of the temple and enjoying a stimulating intellectual discussion with the most learned religious thinkers of his time. Jesus knew what it was like to be criticized by his mother, even when his mother was wrong 
and he was right. Jesus knew how hard it was to leave what he really wanted to do so he could go back to Nazareth with his parents and be obedient to them. Jesus experienced all the growing pains of a child as he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Yet, with hindsight, it became apparent that Jesus was the Son of God, fully God as well as fully human. Jesus had such a deep understanding of the thoughts and ways of God that even at the age of 12, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus had a perfect attitude. Of what other child could it be said he was obedient to his parents? But most of all, who else ever had such a perfect conviction that God was his father? No wonder his parents did not understand what he was saying to them when Jesus told them, I had to be in my father's house. In the culture in which Jesus grew up, it was particularly odd that Jesus would think of God as his father. As followers of Jesus, we are familiar with the idea that God is our Heavenly Father. Indeed, we start most of our prayers with some such reference to God as our Father in Heaven. But it was rare to think of God as a Father in the Old Testament. And if He was talked about as a Father, He was usually a stern, distant disciplinarian. There usually was no sense of that gentle, kind intimacy that led Jesus to call God the equivalent of daddy instead of the more formal word father. Indeed, by calling God his daddy, Jesus gave us an example of how he grew in wisdom by being fully human as well as fully God. As the Son of God, Jesus had a perfect relationship, a perfect communion with God, stretching beyond the existence of time and of this universe. As a human child, he experienced for a few years the simple joys of a small child's relationship, a joyous communion with his mommy and daddy. And as an adult, Jesus drew upon both experiences to deepen our understanding of what it means to have a perfect relationship, a perfect joyous communion with God. Jesus taught us to call God our daddy. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, please share it with a friend and find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on my website, timharner.com. My book, Hoping in the Lord, contains citations to sources, including the scriptures. Until we are together again, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us peace.